Please rise as you're able for the reading of God's Word. This morning from the New Testament lesson, the book of John, chapter 15, verses 1 through 17. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine grower. He removes every branch in me that bears no fruit. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes to make it bear more fruit. You've already been cleansed by the word that I've spoken to you. Abide in me as I abide in you, just as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I'm the vine. You are the branches. Those who abide in me and I in them bear much fruit, because apart from me you can do nothing. Whoever does not abide in me is thrown away like a branch and withers. Such branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. But if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and become my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. I've said these things to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. And you are my friends if you do what I command you. I do not call you servants any longer because the servant does not know what the master is doing. But I've called you friends because I've made known to you everything that I have heard from my Father. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And I appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, so that the Father will give you whatever you ask him in my name. I'm giving you these commands so that you might love one another. The Word of God for the people of God. Well done, Rusty. Thank you so much for reading our lesson uh, this morning. Uh, it's wonderful to hear my former teacher read the scripture from Lambeth uh, College, who was philosophy professor there, and he and Susan, their family means so much to us. Uh, we're grateful that you're here today. It's hard to believe that today is the last Sunday in the Christian year. Uh, next week, we will begin uh, a new year with the first Sunday of Advent, and we're going to begin a new series called Expecting the Unexpected uh, that will take us right up to Christmas Eve. Christmas Eve is on a Saturday this year, which means that we have the privilege of worshiping together on Sunday on the day, on the birthday of Christ, and certainly on New Year's the following week, and we look forward to that, and we're, uh, we're excited about the Advent 
time together. Let me remind you that next Sunday, 3, 5, and 7 in the afternoon will be our annual Advent concert. Our youth will be sharing with us. And if you've not been to one of those concerts, uh, make your plans to be there for one of those hours. It's one of the most special times of the year, and we look forward to that uh, next Sunday. Uh, it was a, a disappointing night for many last night in Columbia, South Carolina. Uh, but in Nashville, Christmas came early for us. Um, go Doors, in, in, uh, you don't win very many SEC games, about one every three years, but now we have two, and we're grateful for that. Uh, and more importantly, we're grateful for all of you for your presence today. And those of you who are online with us today, what a privilege, what an honor to be with you. It means a lot to be in your home or wherever you are. Many of you are traveling this week and you are in our prayers as we celebrate this time of Thanksgiving together. We've come to the conclusion of a series that we began about three weeks ago called We Are. And we've been thinking these last few weeks together about our identity in Christ, who we are as offspring of God who we are as disciples who follow Jesus. I don't know if you've noticed it or not, but there seems to be in the 21st century a lot of confusion these days surrounding identity. We have a tendency to label and define each other and ourselves in what I think is far too narrow a manner. We categorize quite often cubbyhole and pigeonhole one another, often more to divide than to reconcile. I was thinking this week, I heard a newly elected governor recently during the midterms say something that has stuck with me. He said, and I quote, you cannot really love your country when you hate half the population. And it struck a chord with me, maybe, it struck a chord with me because it reminded me of another passage from John, the epistle of John, 1 John 4, verse 20. You cannot love God whom you've never seen and at the same time hate your sister or brother that you see every day. It's not possible. Confusion of identity seems to always lead to perplexity of purpose. And to be sure, life is very confusing quite frequently. But when you find your why, you will find your way. It's no accident that the early church defined themselves as the way, the path. It was said of Jesus, he is the way, the truth, and the life. And that's our identity in Christ. I think that the church exists for the sole purpose to help us find our way, our way and our why. Not, not in an individualistic manner, but in a collective manner, in a communal manner. We've been asking you to fill out the heart card so that we can understand a little bit better uh, of how God has hardwired this family, this community. And, and I have an updated slide, the heart card for you uh, that I wanna share with you from last week. If y'all will show the heart card. Uh, each week we're showing you how you have filled out the heart card and where you see the larger words, uh, those are words that you have repeated on your card. So many of you have said family, children, 
youth. And so what we're trying to do is to discern the recurring sort of themes of how God has hardwired this community for witness beyond these walls. Now you'll notice uh, children and youth in particular families lead the pack. And I'm so grateful to tell you that uh, last Sunday at one o'clock here, 83 of our students made their confession of faith here at this altar. Two mothers were also baptized with their children at this altar. And six of our confirmand families united their letters with our church. And so what you're seeing is that the experience of this community is in alignment to some degree with our passions. And if you haven't filled out a heart card, I invite you to do that. This will be so helpful and we'll share it with you next week. Also the financial commitment cards will ask that you continue your support of the work of Christ in this community. Your generosity is a blessing to God and to us and to others. And we do it because it's who we are. When you turn to the scripture, there's no confusion about identity. When you look at the book of Genesis, for example, there's, there's no ambivalence about who we are. As early as Genesis one and two, it seems very clear that we're made in the image of God. We're made in the likeness of God, which means you have the capacity to be creative. It means you have the capacity to be compassionate, to be loving. It means like our grandchildren, you have a will of your own. This is what it means to be made in the image of God. Some of you know the name Saint Athanasius, who was a fourth century church father. He put it like this, every human life is a portrait of God. Every human life is a portrait of God. And yet, says Athanasius, because of sin and spiritual blindness, these portraits have become blurred. They have become tarnished. But instead of discarding the portraits, God has sent his son, says Athanasius, to sit as a model for the second painting of humanity. The incarnate son gives us a clearer image of the divine in us by which we then frame our lives so that the original portrait is restored. I read recently of two activists, two protesters in London at the National Gallery of Art who doused a priceless Van Gogh painting. Did you see this? The painting is said to be valued at $81 million. These two young women glued their hands to the walls and with cans of tomato soup doused this priceless painting, sunflowers, Van Gogh. Thankfully, you can't see it from here, but thankfully the artwork was covered with glass and though some of the soup entered between the glass and the canvas, There was an expert on hand who restored the original image of the portrait, who restored it to its natural beauty. And when I read that report, I thought to myself, that's theological. The same kind of thing happens to us. Because of our sin and disobedience and rebellion, the original image of God within us is distorted. But God is in the business of restoration. And so are we. And to the text. 
In our lesson this morning, Jesus uses the craft of viticulture or wine growing to help us reimagine our identity and purpose. He says, and you've heard this all of your life, Jesus speaking, I am the vine and you are the branches. And again, the pronoun here, you, is not singular, it's plural. It's, it's you all. He's speaking to the church. He's saying y'all are the branches. If you read through the Old Testament, you will discover that it often speaks of Israel, the nation of Israel, as a vineyard. You, O Lord, this is Psalm 80, verse 8, you, O Lord, transplanted a vine from Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it, and it took root and filled the land. He speaks of the nation of Israel as the vine. Hosea does the same thing. Israel is a luxurious vine. Ezekiel and Jeremiah, same thing. Indeed, the vine in the Old Testament becomes the symbol for the nation of Israel. In the Maccabean age, the vine was imprinted even on their currency, on their coins. One of the glories of the temple was the great golden vine inlaid upon the front of the holy place. But with the passage of time, the image of a vine as the nation of Israel became blurred, became tarnished. Isaiah 5 says, God planted his people on a fertile hill. He cleared it of stones and briars. He built a watchtower in the midst of it and expected good fruit. But what he got was wild grapes. Jeremiah 2, the same thing. I planted you, O Israel, a choice vine from the purest stock. So how then did you turn degenerate? How did you become a corrupt and wild vine. I've thought about that before. I'm not a horticulturist, but some of you who work in the yard occasionally, why is it that weeds seem to grow faster than wheat? Why is it that briars and pricklies pop up a little quicker than begonias and peonies? Sometimes God plants good seed, but what God gets is kudzu. I read the other day, kudzu, a noxious weed, can grow up to 12 inches a day. I read in this nation alone that in one year, in one year's time, 150 acres of kudzu can grow annually. It is one of the four fastest growing plants on the planet. The others, bamboo, kelp, and corn. But in the New Testament, Jesus speaks of himself as the vine. In fact, what he literally says is, I am the true vine. That word for true in the Greek is alethinos. It means I am ultimate reality. It means I'm the genuine article. It means I'm authentic. I'm real. He adds, my father is the vine dresser, the one who prunes, cultivates, cuts away the dead wood so that the branches become more productive. But then Jesus states what I think is key to the whole passage. He states that for the branch to bear fruit, the one thing it has to do is to maintain its connection to the vine. And this is the crux of the message. The extent of the witness of the church depends solely 
on our attachment to Jesus. He's our connection. It is alone through Christ that we receive the spiritual syrup, the sap, that enables and empowers us to actually bear fruit. And and notice in the passage that we don't produce fruit, we bear fruit. You say, what's the difference? Big difference. Producing fruit is about my work for God, but bearing fruit is about God's work in me, in you. Now, before we go any further, I think it's important to note the context of this passage. John chapter 15 is a part of what's called the farewell section of the fourth gospel. It's exclusive to John. And the context for what Jesus is saying with the vine and the branches, it's the night before his death on the cross. And Jesus is actually preparing his friends for his physical absence for his death. And so the question behind the text for the disciples is this. How can we keep going in the absence of the physical Jesus? The question is, how on earth can we continue the mission in the absence of our teacher? And the answer given us by John is an old-fashioned word. You almost never hear this word anymore. It's the word abide. I love that word. Abide in me as I abide in you. Just as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you bear fruit unless you abide in me. Now, it's interesting to me that the Greek word here for for abide is meno, and literally what it means is this. It means to remain. It means to stay connected. It means to stick with me. Stick with me, by the way. (laughs) Have you ever discovered how much of life is just sticking with it? Some of you have discovered that marriage is sticking with it. Some of you have teenagers have discovered that parenting is often just sticking with it. I've discovered it's true in faith, in matters of ministry and discipleship. It's just sticking with it. It's not giving up. And I have to tell you, I'm a Christian, I'm a disciple today because of youth counselors when I was a teenager who just never gave up on me, though they had ample reason to do so, to stick with it. I was watching Monday Night Football last week. I don't often do that, but the Washington Commanders were playing the Philadelphia Eagles. I always pull against the Philadelphia Eagles, Jim, because of what the Phillies did to the Braves this year. And I turned it on because of a little known quarterback from Lawrenceville, Georgia, where Sherry and I served for 12 years, named Taylor Heineke. He played football at Collins Hill High School in Lawrenceville. He is still the second uh, most prolific passer in North Georgia high school history. The man was amazing even as an 18-year-old quarterback in high school. He played his college days at Old Dominion, and then the last six years, he's been in the National Football League, and he has played for six teams in six years. He's been hired and fired in the last six years. He is a bench warmer. He's a backup. But the guy just won't quit. 
Because of injuries with the Washington Commanders about six weeks ago to the first and second string quarterback, Taylor finally got his chance. And since then, he is five and one as a starter. And on Monday night, he led his team to victory over the undefeated Philadelphia Eagles. And they've interviewed him after the final whistle about the game. And this is what he said. I play every game as though it's my last. And it may well be. Every game, a stick to it guy, a guy who knows how to abide. Now, isn't it interesting that John, John is obsessed with this word. He uses it 11 times in 11 verses, 64 times he uses the word abide in his combined writings. He, he's like an old preacher who is repeating himself. I told somebody the other day, I can tell I'm getting older because I'm beginning to repeat myself. Uh, I'm beginning to repeat myself. <laughs> and the other way I can tell is because everything that you say to me reminds me of a useless anecdote. <laughs> Speaking of which, you remember the woman who approached her pastor after the benediction and said, Pastor, every sermon you preach is better than the next one. Or the pastor who said to one of his chief critics, every time I see you, I think of you. <laughs> Repetition is the key to learning. Abide, abide, abide. Stay connected, stay with it. The first time you see this word is in the first chapter of the fourth gospel, John 1.35. Let me set the scene. John the Baptist is there with his disciples and he points two of his followers to Jesus. And he says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And when these two hear this, they follow Jesus. And when Jesus sees them trailing him, he said, what are you looking for? And they say, master, where do you live? And he said, come and see. And the next line says, and they remained with him. There it is. They stuck with him. They abided with him the rest of that day and the rest of their lives. Our capacity to be fruitful depends on sticking with Jesus and with Jesus' people. And when we do, there's fruit. And what does it look like? Looks a lot like love. When you abide in him and he in you, you actually begin to look like and act like the original, like Jesus. Doesn't happen overnight, but it sure happens. Two years ago, a couple of weeks ago, we married off our daughter, Sherry and I married off our daughter at a vineyard in North Georgia. It's called Yona Vineyard. You can see Yona Mountain in the back of that beautiful vineyard. And while we were there, we met the owner and we asked him some questions about his work there. And he told us that once you establish a vine, uh, it's not until year three that you begin to see the clusters of fruit. And then he said, it's not until year four that you begin to harvest the grapes. And then he said, you don't actually taste the fruit. You don't bottle it until year five. 
And he said, you don't break even on your investment until year 12. And we said, how did you manage it? He said, I almost went broke, but I stuck with it. There's a term I didn't know existed. I read the other day, it's called long-termism. It's the idea that nothing of much value ever happens in a hurry. Enduring fruit is a long-term investment. I remember something Einstein said. He said, it's not that I'm so smart. It's just that I stay with problems. You have to learn to abide. Last word. I got a letter last week with a contribution to our ministry from a woman in Appleton, Wisconsin. I had no idea who she was. I discovered since then that Appleton is 30 miles southwest of Green Bay. I don't know this woman, wouldn't know her to see her, but she knows us. She writes, and I quote, I watch your 11 o'clock service online every Sunday. It's a wonderful service, and I look forward to it every week. I attend my little church often, and I love the people there, but I also love BUMC and am enriched by the service. I'm sending you a check to support the online ministry. I wish I could do more, but with limited income and my own church to support, I don't have much but I wanted to let you know in some way how much I appreciate the ministry of your people. I feel like I'm a part of your congregation. I'm celebrating my birthday next week, and this is my birthday gift to your church. Signed, Carol. I think she's watching this morning, and I wanna say to her and to you, I had no idea that a vine planted in Brentwood, Tennessee, 171 years ago, could bear fruit in Appleton, Wisconsin. But apparently it can. There are a lot of letters that I get, as you can imagine, I file in file 13, but not this letter. I'll hold on to it as a reminder to us of the importance of sticking with Jesus. He said, you can't do much of anything without me, but with me all things are possible. You are the branches. That's who we are. And when we stick with it, when we abide in him and he in us, the fruit will grow better than kudzu to the honor and glory of the vine dresser. May it be so in Jesus' name.